The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. On Friday, March 13th of this year, a first in world history was made when Greg Hunt, Australian Environment Minister, took the lead to be the first nation to announce the immediate ban on the importation of lion trophies and body parts. To turn the wheels of a nation's government policy and the hearts of a continent didn't happen overnight. It has taken decades of investigation, outspoken dedication, and hard work to present the evidence needed to accomplish the stunning blow against the very lucrative and cruel industry of canned lion hunting. To understand the magnitude of Australia's landmark decision, we need to travel back in time for a bit with my guests Donalia Patman and Ian Mickler. Donalia has been the driving force behind the federal government, Australia's federal government's decision to ban the importation of lion trophies and body parts, and Ian has been her mentor uh, in providing the hard evidence that's required to turn the wheels of a legislative decision such as this. So um, I guess without any further ado, I'd like to welcome... Um, well, let me tell you a little bit more about Donalia. She's got a lifelong passion for animal, uh, the love of animals, and reconnecting humans and our uh, compassion and connection to nature. Ian is a renowned South African investigative writer, safari operator, and conservationist, and an outspoken critic of the trophy hunting. He's been working for decades to expose the canned hunting industry and has played a pre excuse me, a key role in providing evidence for such decisions as Australia. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Donnelly and Ian. Good morning. Ah, good morning. It's good to hear from you. Actually, let's, you know, this is interesting. Here in Colorado, it's um, almost 11 p.m. In South Africa, I think it is 5 a.m. or thereabouts where Ian is calling from. And I'm talking to Donnelly in Australia, and I have no idea what time of day it is there. It's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So well, this truly is a global Our Wild World program. So <laughs> welcome, everybody. And here we are all in the um, technological wonder of Skype and having a conversation. So, um, Donalia, let's start with you. Um, how did you get into 
you know, maybe I should back up just a little bit. Previously, we had Chris Mercer, uh, who presented the dark underbelly of this lucrative and disturbing practice, the industrialized and intensive farming of lions, born and bred, purely raised to be killed for a thrill. Australians might not make up the largest segment of South Africa's canned lion hunting industry. That dubious status belongs to us, the Americans. But no matter who's doing the killing, canned hunting is an industry that lurks between the the gray areas of the international trade laws and legal loopholes involving tourism, so-called safari parks, parks, and often illicit medicinal market for big cat bones. This is a pay-to-play industry that hides cruelty and abuse through the business of breeding lions in captivity to be shot in captivity as fodder as living targets for the wealthy and usually foreign collector. So, Donalia, how did you get involved? <laughs> well, I, I suppose um, my inspiration comes from uh, visiting the White Lion Protection Trust in Timbavati in 2011. I attended a workshop uh, that Andrew Harvey uh, was running along with uh, Linda Tucker, who is the CEO of the project. And um, I had a, an extraordinary um, experience with the White Lions and um, that, uh, and after um, going out and seeing them for the very first time, uh, Linda and Andrew Harvey then spoke uh, about canned hunting. And I had never heard the term before. And I can tell you that the rage that came up through my body was so um, beyond anything I'd ever experienced. And uh, Andrew Harvey said to me, I want you to take your indignant rage and to turn it into passionate, sacred action. And I suppose that was the pivotal point for me. And um, as, uh, as things would turn out, I've met um, people along the way and um, the introduction to Ian 18 months ago um, and it's changed my life. I, I gave up my career last year to fully um, commit to this cause um, and it's, I've been very lucky and um, very blessed to have such, such friends like uh, Ian who have been very supportive in indulging me in, in this work and um, it's through his help that we've been man- you know, managed to get the Australian government to take a stand. Well, I think you're going to find that you have a whole lot of friends in this cause because there is an entire global audience out there who is very interested in what is happening to our wild world and our non-human inhabitants and how we relate and how we we treat them. And uh, that they do have a theory of mind and that they are cognizant and aware and emotional beings. So, Ian, that brings us to you. You've been at this for a long time. Give us a little background. Well, uh, in the 90s, I was living and working in the Okavango Delta. So I was managing lodges. In fact, at that stage, owned a community lodge um, and was fully immersed in the uh, wildlife industry. And, but I'd also started as, uh, by that stage as a journalist. So I was writing for a very well-known, um, celebrated magazine called Africa Geographic. And one of the topics that had interested me was the land use options available to us 
to manage our protected areas. And, and in essence, this boils down to either what we call consumptive or non-consumptive utilization. So do we just do photographic safaris or do we involve trophy hunting as well? And in the late 90s, Botswana was having this argument about their lion populations and the role that trophy hunting was having on lion populations. Um, and I was intrigued with this discussion, obviously being involved in areas where hunters were operating as well. And it was also about the same time that the Cook Report came out, which was, I think, 98. And that was the first time the world got to know about can hunting when uh, this investigative program that was based out of the UK showed a lioness being shot against a wire fence with her cubs on the other side. Um, and so for me, putting the two together, investigating trophy hunting impacts on wildlands in Botswana, and then this notion of can hunting, as a journalist, I really started investigating it all. And very quickly, um, my research took me from Botswana to the heart of where can hunting was being practiced, and that was in the Free State Province of South Africa. And so that's what got me going, really, was uh, this notion that not only did we have trophy hunting to consider and the, and the impact or the role that it was or wasn't playing in our wildlife conservation, but this kind of completely perverse, aberrant form of trophy hunting where people were starting to breed these lions to be shot in cages. Um, so, and, and yeah, so 98, 99 was when I started my research into this whole um, mess. Well, this would be a really good point to bring into the conversation, which I thought we might get in later, but since you've started it at this point, and, you know, I'll bet we have a lot of common friends and colleagues in Botswana. I do a lot of work there in the northern part, but uh, as an aside, so let's let's go here. Um, how do we address the hunting of lions in the context of lions in general? So we have the canned hunting industry, which is breeding lions by the hundreds for a specific purpose, to be shot for trophies. And we have a declining wild lion population across Africa. So with your research and your interest gaining in this whole concept of lions, starting in Botswana, which I believe was in 2013, they announced a ban on lion trophy hunting, and it was said that there would, would be no shots further fired on lions. Well, I don't know that that's quite true in, in terms of what Chris Mercer talked about um, on our episode, but um, so lion hunting in general, you know, we have problem lions. Um, we have issues where lions are in conflict with villagers and retaliatory killings, let's say, in East Africa and Southwest Africa for killing cattle and livestock. So what's going to be the effect or in, in your research of the canned industry to the wild population? Well, I, I think for me the most important point here is that um, – the answer to, to, to the big picture question uh, needs to be broken down. So the reason that people breed lions in cages to be shot for the thrill um, has no link to 
um, the wild lion um, trophy hunting issues out there. So um, wild lions need to be dealt with on their own, as it were. So, um, for example, we need to look at the threats facing our lion populations in Africa. Um, and these relate to habitat loss. These relate to fragmentation of habitat. And these relate to the loss of prey base for our wild lion populations. Um, the notion then that because lions are in trouble, we can go and breed them, that they end up being shot, and we use the conservation tag as a justification, that, that uh, incorrect, in fact, fraudulent link needs to be broken, and the public need to understand very clearly that there is no link. It's a fraudulent marketing link put forward by the breeders. Uh, they know that it's not acceptable any longer just to be able to go out and say, you know what, I'm breeding these lions like I breed domestic animals and I'm breeding them so that people can come and shoot them. So they try and have a justification and they're using that conservation justification. So that's the first point. The public need to understand that, that there is no link. <clears throat> um, lions are in trouble because of habitat loss. Breeding them up on farms is not going to solve the problem. So the other point then on the other side of the equation is how do we deal with problem animals in the wild? Now, um, that is an issue. Absolutely it is an issue. As man pushes further and further into wilderness, we're um, coming into contact with wild animals on a more regular basis. And we have what we simply refer to as human-animal conflicts. Um, so... Going forward, what we need to do is we've got to be more inventive about how we deal with those human-animal conflicts. And I don't believe that having what we call problem animal officers walking around with uh, permits in their pocket and a list of trophy hunters in the other pocket and looking for problem animals to have them shot because he can make some money on the side is the answer. Um, we need to be more inventive about, for example, how we corral our wildlife. Um, if you go out into these rural areas, these herds of cattle, sheep, goats, these are the most important assets these people own. So why are they not taking greater care of their biggest asset? Why are they not corralling their wildlife at, life, at night? 150 years ago, we used to do that. Everyone used to do it. Um, so why don't we do it today? Why do we take it out on the predator who, in fact, has having its range increasingly impinged upon by, by our thoughtless um, so-called uh, progression? So I think, you know, what's happened is that people blur all these issues on purpose because it suits the what we call the, the, I guess, the sustainable use lobby. It suits the trophy hunting lobby um, on every level to blur these issues. But we need to keep them very clearly separated um, because that actually gives you a good indication that um, each one should be addressed separately. 
Well, you bring up such excellent points, Ian, and I thank you because over the course of this program, Our Wild World, I have constantly hammered home the message that our current model of conservation needs rejuvenation. It is failing under the um, model that was implemented 100, 200 years ago. Everything you just spoke about is no longer applicable as we have an exploding human population uh, reducing areas for wildlife, where will wildlife go? And especially, where will our carnivores go? We're facing the same problem here in the U.S., which we'll bring back a little later in the program, um, about, you know, killing carnivores, killing contests. It's as bad as canned hunting. It's almost the same thing. We just don't call it that. We call it a contest. And we give money and prizes to those who kill the most and the biggest. So, we'll bring that back later in the program. Um, so, Donna Leah, um, you took this work, uh, you met Ian, and you took this work, and you were galvanized uh, to uh, address your country, address your nation. We've got about a minute left here, so I'd like to get started, and then we'll pick up with the break. How did you manage this? Um, well, <laughs> I suppose I was so... Um it was obvious to me that Africa is under siege. And if other countries don't take uh, a, a moral role, I suppose, um, I, just, I just saw Africa's wildlife um, disappearing. And I have this very strong belief that wildlife belongs to the planet. It doesn't belong to a government or an organisation or an individual. And um, we need to redefine and evolve uh, the way we think about um, our relationship to it. Well, you bring up an excellent point, and that's, again, the point of this program, Our Wild World, and the most recent series of programs that we've been presenting. We need a shift in human consciousness and our relationship to our world. So on that note, we're going to take a short break. So stick with us with my guests, Donna Leah Patman and Ian Mickner, as we discuss canned lion hunting and how it relates to our wild world. We'll be right back. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G.
Do you feel like you are alone in a desert? Often we feel alone with no place to turn for help and guidance in our troubles that always seem to be so overwhelming. Stop. Take an hour each week to tune in to Stream in the Desert with Dr. Rita Huang. Dr. Rita will share stories of people just like you, intended for you to find some inspiration in their problems and solutions. The most important thing is that you are not alone. Others have been in the same place. Share some time with us every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, and on demand on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back. This is Our Wild World with my guests Donalia Patman and Ian Mickner. And we are talking about canned lion hunting and the need for our world to change our relationship to the wild things around us. So, Donnelly, you galvanized your country, your nation, and your members of parliament and uh, your minister of the environment to ban the import of lion trophies. You had a lot of help. This doesn't happen alone. Um, but... In reading some of the background about Australia to prepare for this show, um, some of the comments that I, I read is that Australia doesn't have a great record in regard to its relationship and laws about animal cruelty and live export culls and intensively farming animals. So this couldn't have been an easy um, task for you to take on. Would, would you be willing to talk a little bit about that? Uh, absolutely. Um, also, too, um, in power at the moment is the Liberal government and um, any animal advocate or ad- activist or NGO will tell you that uh, if you want an animal cause to be addressed, you either approach the Labor Party or the Greens. Um, I, I suppose due to my naivety in the political forum, um, I approached my local member, Jason Wood, um, purely uh, as a, just a line of kind of uh, direct action. And that actually uh, came from direction from Peter Catt at LionAid in the UK. He sent me a letter outline and said, if you want to do some good, start writing to your local MPs. So with that, um, Jason Wood um, was not in power when we started a conversation. And he said to me, look, leave me alone. And if I, if I get into parliament, then come back to me. And, uh, and that's what I did. So I attended all the events he ever hosted. Um, I really felt it was imperative that he got to know me as a person. Um, I continue to always keep in contact. I phone him. I'd email him. And then uh, when he was in power, he then said, well, look, if you've got proof of this, I need to see a video. And that's where I got in contact with uh, Ian Mickler and another friend of ours. Um, so, yes, it's, it's been, uh, I, I suppose, too, Ellie, the other perspective is that um, I have a, a background, too, in, uh, and as I've mentioned um, perhaps on email to you, is that I have a very dear friend, Andrew Harvey, 
Um, and so I have a, a background in spiritual kind of connected um, uh, way to the planet. And I really feel that there was a lot of guidance in, in the way that this was, um, was tackled. Um, the other piece is, that is, the, the amount, is how quickly it came about. So we're along with Jason Wood's help and uh, last year Ian um, came, he uh, accepted my invitation to Australia uh, and along with economist uh, Roderick Campbell, we presented in Parliament to the Environment Minister. It was a very quick meeting, he was running late so everything was done very quickly. And um, again, uh, we just kept persisting. He had a fairly... Um, a strong letter from South Africa's Environment Minister Edna Mulewu, who um, suggested that he would, uh, it would be best that he dropped this. And uh, Greg Hunt then had to initiate um, a report back from the Trade Minister and also our Foreign Affairs Minister uh, to make sure there was wasn't going to be any trade implications. Uh, so it's been a long battle. Um, he, Greg Hunt, has had. Um, quite a lot of opposition and especially we've got our own groups in Australia, the uh, Fishers and Shooters Party, um, who have been really outraged at his decision. Um, and yeah, uh, everybody has been very surprised that this announcement has come from our, our um, from the Liberal Party. Well, it is astonishing how quickly you made this happen. You leading uh, your country and making contacts is so. It's a living example, a shining star that writing letters and contacting your representatives, no matter where you are, does make a difference. Advocacy works. Speaking up, the world is listening, has a point. So, um, Ian, you had wanted to add on a comment regarding our relationship in uh, in, in terms of what Donna Leah has been able to accomplish. Yeah, so, I mean, I just want to quickly endorse the incredible work that Donna Lee and, you know, For the Love of Wildlife has done because, as I said, um, I've spent, what, 15, 16 years tackling these issues in my own country. And, uh, you know, the Australian initiative is the first time we've had any real progress. So, I mean, they deserve all the kudos and all the praise that comes their way. But what's important here is when I was in Australia, and I've very recently come back from presenting in the European Parliament in Brussels, and the question comes, well, why, why are you bringing this issue to Canberra or to Brussels? Surely this is an African issue. And my answer, I, I give um, four, four answers, and I'm going to give these four answers to the program. The first answer is, yes, we are growing the dope, but the rest of the world are actually smoking it. So, like the drugs trade, um, there are pushers and users. 99% of all the people that come to shoot these animals come from outside of the continent. So that's why the rest of the world is involved. That's point number one. Point number two is that allied to the can hunting industry, we have a booming trade in the volunteer market. So what's happening is there are a lot of European, American, Australian agents who are making a fortune of young students by selling them a fraudulent marketing message about coming to work on these farms breeding the lions as young volunteers. So these young kids are being sold a fraudulent message. They are paying money 
to come and pet these cubs and bottle feed these cubs, which eventually are going to end up either in the canned hunt or in the lion bone trade. Those volunteers are coming from outside of Africa. Another good reason why the rest of the world is involved or linked to this issue. And then the third one I raise is, and this is really, I guess, follows on from Donnelly's comments that, you know, these animals belong to the planet. And that is that we actually have a commission called the World Heritage Commission. And it falls under the IUCN, which is part of the United Nations. It's a convention. And we proclaim world heritage sites. We proclaim them in Africa, in Australia, in America, in Europe, all over the world. And the notion of a world heritage is exactly that, that it belongs to all of us and it should be protected for all of us. And I'd like to introduce this notion, and it was something we discussed with Will Travers from Born Free and with Peter Katz from Lion Aid in the European Parliament, was that this notion of world heritage species. And I am as concerned about the polar bears in North Africa, I mean in North America, the pandas in China, the koalas in Australia, as I would hope the rest of the world is about the lions of Africa. So these are world heritage species. Um, and so for me, there are three very, very good reasons why North America, Europe, Australia is integrally involved in our problem of can hunting. The last reason I give the fourth one is, of course, I've spent the last 15 years in my own country trying to get some attention, and I've failed. That's why we've taken the message to the rest of the world. Well, this brings up um, the message that Chris Mercer was talking about, that if we cut off the arms, so to speak, of the economic feeding ground to kill these lions, uh, it would stop the um, interests in breeding them and therefore sort of cut off the arms of everything you just spoke of, bringing in naive tourists to uh, bottle feed and breed these lions. It still astonishes me that um, the, the naivete behind this, that people don't ask the question, where do these lions go, or that they would follow or think that it would be true that, oh, they are released into the wild. If anyone has studied lions at all, they understand lions are probably one of the hardest animals to reintroduce to the wild. Um, we've done a lot of programs on that, and my organization works with a lot of projects in terms of reintroducing lions to the wild. And uh, I noticed on your website, um, Donnelly, uh, what, for the love of wildlife, is that it? Yes. Yeah, for the love of wildlife.org. Please visit that. It's got a lot of information, great videos, and Donnelly's story. And um, you mentioned Christian the lion. I happen to work with Tony Fitzjohn, who was the man who reintroduced Christian to the wild. So uh, it's a small world, the world of conservation. So it amazes me that people don't quite connect the dots. So, Ian. I need to ask you this question. You went to the European Union, what, just a couple of weeks ago and presented the same case that you did in Australia to Brussels. Um, and you, they said it was an African problem. And you've just highlighted very much why it is a global problem. So speaking of a global problem, me living here in the U.S., the home of the Endangered Species Act and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and the push to get the lion, African lion, Panthera leo, listed as an endangered species. Part one, do you think that will happen? And part two, what effect do you think it would have? 
Okay, so I, I think these are, are, are important questions. Um, what's interesting about um, the listing or upgrading of lions to a higher level of, of protection is that the, the only bodies that are fighting against it are those that represent the trophy hunting industry. So given any normal set of circumstances, um, anyone or any logical thinking person would say, yes, an animal, an iconic animal, an apex species that has seen, <clears throat> A, its range decline dramatically and its continent-wide population decline dramatically. And we're talking about anywhere between 80 and 90% over the last 50, 60 years. Um, would be deserving of greater protection. But <clears throat> with the case of lions, we have this added <clears throat> sorry, situation where we have groups of people fighting against affording it greater protection because they want to shoot them as trophies. So the only groups that are fighting against are the trophy hunting industries. Um, and we understand and we know that, of course, Safari Club International in the USA is one of the strongest and most powerful of those. Um, so that's, that's the perversity of it. But I think lions absolutely um, should be upgraded to Appendix 1. Do I think that ever, is ever going to happen? Yes, I do. Um, is it going to happen at uh, CITES 2016 in South Africa? Probably not, but possibly. Um, who would have thought two years ago that Australia would introduce a ban on the ex importation of all trophies from Africa. Um, so I think the point of never saying never is, 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 I mean, we shouldn't entertain that. We should be positive and we should actually believe that the world is changing. The perception of the public has certainly changed, um, but the perception of the scientific world is also changing. The conservation world is also changing. And we are beginning to understand that this notion that an animal should only exist because it has a price on its head or a hectare of wilderness should only exist because it can outcompete um, the benefits offered by mining or logging, for example. I think those notions are now falling away and we're beginning to understand that that is what got us into trouble in the first place. So I think lions may well in the next 10 to 15 years be upgraded to Appendix 1. Will it, sub will it help them? Yes, of course it will help them. The problem with can hunting is the, and the predator farms is that, from my understanding, is that wild lions will be listed as Appendix 1, but lions that are in um, captivity or bred on farms will still be listed as Appendix 2. So it means that we would have to still battle this issue of breeding lions to be shot in cages. Um, and it comes back to what I said right at the beginning, is that actually the wild lion populations and the bred lions are separate issues in many ways, and we need to be very clear on that in the public's eyes. Well, you bring up really important points here, and I, for one, surely hope that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife would take into consideration 
uplisting, upgrading the African lion in terms of its wild populations. You're correct. It definitely leaves a sticky wicket in terms of uh, the canned lion population. From what I understand, there's in South Africa alone, there's maybe 2,700, 3,000 wild lions. There's maybe 23,000 across Africa, and there's about 8,000 in the canned lion hunting industry. So we do have that question, if canned hunting were up and to be banned, made illegal immediately tomorrow, what's going to happen to these 8,000 lions? They cannot go back to the wild. It's a very sticky wicket. But over time, I'm, I'm hoping that, and I'm seeing that we are shifting, that people, and hopefully our listeners, are a part of this audience of the shifting mindset of which Donna Lee became a part of and was galvanized to the point of shifting an entire nation's outlook um, to respond to an issue that someone like Ian Mickler has been working on for decades. So we are coming together, and um, it is making a difference. So, um, Ian, I understand, that, and Donnelly, Donnelly, you probably heard this also, that there's around 150 to 170 breeding farms throughout South Africa that would be affected by um, the, the Australia's ban? Um, yes. yes. Okay, go Donnelly. Um, yes, that's the, that's the case. And so like Ian was suggesting before is that uh, one of the pieces in uh, setting up this ban is also to make aware about Australian volunteers that have been uh, supporting the industry inadvertently and channeling very important conservation funds to private operators. And so if we can stop the volunteers, um, it stops the whole industry of being uh, lucrative. So it again takes away the incentives. So there's many layers and many levels to this. Um, and, of course, Ian uh, can uh, uh, respond in more detail um, perhaps later. Excellent. Well, that was a perfect timing because I think we're going to cut away for a short break. So stick with us. We're having a fascinating conversation um, about canned lion hunting, its effects on wild lions, and what can be done to stop the industry. So we'll be right back. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all. 
and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. Welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World with my guests Donna Lee Patman and Ian Mickner. So we're talking canned lion hunting and the effects it has on wild lion populations. The effect it has had on one woman and her galvanizing action to take a nation to ban the import of lion trophies. And from what I understand, Donna Lee, that according to the Department of Environment of Australia, between 2010 and 2013, 91 lion parts were brought into Australia, the equivalent of 29 whole lions. Under the new ban, individuals can be jailed for 10 years and fined $170,000 per uh, incident and companies $850,000. That's a big hit. Do you think that will happen? Do you think the, um, the law enforcement is there to see that, to back that up? Uh, have you ever tried to bring anything illegal into Australia? Uh, <laughs> <Our no>. customs... <laughs> well, the thing is, um, our customs are pretty are, are known as the tightest on the planet. All and, right. Yeah, and to bring in uh, any body parts, you seriously um, would be quite mad. So it's really going to change the whole permitting process for hunters coming from Australia to even begin to think about organizing through a tour operator uh, through to South Africa or Tanzania uh, to bring in a canned lion. I don't know what it would do about how does that work in relation to the um, canned lion hunting that takes place here in the U.S.? Would It would be the same. You could not bring it in even if it were shot in the U.S.? Well, I, I think the piece that's really um, to consider is like we've just seen photographs of Glenn McGrath, um, Australia, you know, Australia's golden boy from cricket, and um, 
he was uh, photographed with a elephant in Zimbabwe and there was just public outrage. So I think the government has responded to um, the way that Australians think about uh, shooting game in Africa. Um, yeah, I think the fines are, are, in, in, are steep, but they're, you know, it's the... Well, they minister. need to be steep. In order to have an impact, it needs to be steep. Yeah, and, and, our minister, and our minister is serious. He's so appalled by this practice, and he's made a statement that not on his watch. Um, so I think from that, too, is that we really have to be very conscious about the way that animals are commoditized, the way they're farmed. We have people in Australia wanting to open up uh, similar types of uh, practices with samba deer. Apparently we've got some of the last samba deer on the planet, so people can pay up to $10,000 to come out to Australia and shoot deer. So we're complicit in some ways. We may not be importing a lot of trophies um, into Australia, but we still have people wanting to participate in that activity. Which is interesting because Australia is also one of the leaders in holistic land management, which understands how wild populations of wildlife move through a landscape and um, protect it from desertification and deforestation. Australia is a land of a lot of deserts. So it's it's kind of amazing, but certainly in line, that uh, Australia would take the stand. And I, for one, applaud your efforts and the efforts of Australia to implement this ban. So, Ian, on, the, on this side, this would take away some of the incentive for hunters to go to South Africa and participate in this I'm going to just say it, despicable practice. Um, I am not a proponent of trophy hunting. Um, There is a place, I think, for hunting in conservation, but that's not going to be a conversation we have here, but certainly not of iconic, charismatic, and endangered species. So you were saying, you know, that we were talking that trophy hunting and that trophy hunting lobby, the immense amount of economics, the money that comes from Safari Club International, the the trophy hunting supporters, those people who like to go out and hunt with skill. Uh, that's another big difference. Canned hunting does not require a skill. It's not hunting. It's shooting fish in a barrel. So hunting and the hunting lobby and the economics, they could be an agent of change um, rather than you know, talking about the big lie and this fraudulent um, link to conservation. They really could be movers for conservation. Well, I think absolutely. But I, I think, and this is a very important point here, is that if the trophy hunting lobby, not only in South Africa, but around the world, had actually... Um, clamped down on these practices right in the beginning, we wouldn't be in the situation today. If you go onto any professional hunting association's website, their front page or their articles of association or whatever you want to call it always talks about fair chase, uh, being ethical, um, all of those kinds of issues. Now, can hunting is everything but fair chase and ethical. Yet, not a single international professional trophy hunting association has come out strongly and stood against these practices. There are individuals and there are individual companies that have done so, but they are in the complete minority. You go to Safari Club International, 
There are only about three or four South African firms who stand up against these practices. But generally, these hunters are able to, to exhibit at Safari Club International. And in South Africa, we have this perverse and actually just disgraceful situation where our so-called professional hunters are now changing the definition. And they don't call it can hunting anymore because of the negative connotations. They've rephrased it and they call it captive hunting. Now, as I've said, I've said on a number of occasions, in fact, the word captive is more descriptive, actually, because it is exactly as it reads. It's breeding animals in captivity to be shot in captivity. So we have this perverse situation in South Africa where our Professional Hunters Association says that can hunting no longer exists. And why? Well, because all they've done is change the word, and they call it captive hunting now. So, yes, trophy hunters could have been an agent for change. They haven't. In South Africa, they've climbed onto the bandwagon. They are some of the worst participants now, and that's why the solutions to these problems are going to be um, are going to come about without their participation. So it leads me to a question. We have a lot of issues with Asia these days in South Africa with the rhino population and um, the sort of sticky wicket and um, playing around with the laws of private breeding and hunting permits. Um, and China now is doing conser tiger conservation parks where it's just masses of tigers. It's similar to the captive breeding of lions. And it wouldn't surprise me one iota if the next thing you found in China was, you know, um, canned tiger hunting. Uh, do you think Asia, reaching the Asian audience and uh, in, in terms of relating it to the tiger or relating it to the rhino, do you think that's possible? Do you think these are all part of the same wagon? Well, I, I, Both of you, <laughs> either one of you, jump in. Donnelly, you, you go. I just, uh, what I've heard about the tiger farms in Asia is very disturbing in that it is illegal to kill a tiger. So what they are doing is starving them so that they die of what they would call natural causes. Um, animal welfare across the planet is in such disgrace. And, um, and so, Ian, you, you participate with what you were going to add to that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, th I think for me, on, in terms of South Africa's um, situation, is that less so from a hunting perspective, the Far East poses a big problem with regards to the lion bone trade. So um, China banned the um, farming and killing of tigers in the early 1990s <clears throat> because it was fanning demand and that was putting pressure on the wild population, okay? Now, what's happened is that lion bones have taken the place of tiger bones. And so, for example, as of 2013, which I think the last statistics were available, 1,100 lion carcasses were shipped to the east for the lion bone or the tiger bone trade. This is up from about a few hundred uh, a few years earlier and almost zero 2008, 2009. So we have a booming and a burgeoning trade in lion bones, which is being fed by demand for uh, traditional Chinese medicines around um, what used to be tiger bone wine. So for me, 
that's the big problem in the Far East. Not so much people coming to hunt lions. Um, the Americans still remain the largest number of hunters, followed by the Danish, the Spanish, the Germans, so a lot of the European hunters. The Chinese or the Vietnamese haven't appeared yet as big hunters of lions in South Africa. Well, there's not the thrill. They're not looking for the trophy, are they? They're looking for a completely different use. But you you mentioned an important point on all the, oh, whether it's Facebook or um, young huntresses, uh, names to remain remain unnamed, uh, websites uh, standing over, standing, sitting, gloating, smiling over their kill with their sharpshooting high tech weapon. They neglect to say that these were typically enclosed hunts. Whether they were canned or not, I, I'm not exactly positive, but typically there was not fair chase involved and um, that the animal was pretty much presented to them. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I, look, I think this is an important point, is that everything about these industries is a fraud, and whether it's the hunter who is being sold the, the story that this is a, a wild lion, whether it's the volunteer who's being sold the story that the farms are involved in conservation, um, you know, right from A to Z, all the revenue streams, romping with lions, petting lions, feeding lions, walking with lions, shooting lions, it's all a fraudulent marketing message. None of these operations, none of these facilities are involved in conservation. There is no conservation message. It's all about a revenue stream for everyone and anyone who is involved at any level. So it comes down to what are we teaching? Um, you know, in terms of education and raising awareness, what you're saying, what both of you are saying, Donnelly and Ian, is that what are we teaching our upcoming global citizens, the youth of our, our, our nations? Uh, what do we want to see and how do we want to participate with wildlife? And how do we want to interact as fellow beings in a web of life on this planet, spaceship, Earth? Um, it's, it's a web of life. Donnelly, in, in your, at your website, for the love of wildlife.org, you talk about, um, and you said your business is about a spiritual connection, not only to each other, but to that which we live upon and which is responsible for our very survival. Ian, you're talking about, um, the very survival and the relationship with iconic species that are only in Africa. They only live there. We bred them elsewhere. We keep them in captivity elsewhere, but they only survive and live in Africa and one Asian country. So um, we have a, about a minute left here. What would be your, your final say for our audience today? Um, from my perspective, I think it's imperative that the youth are um, given the opportunities to engage with nature. I think um, you know, the technological age is fantastic, but we've got kids addicted to iPads and iPhones who probably wouldn't look out from those to actually have um, that much engagement. And I know there's some incredible programs that are run in the US, in Australia, in um, Africa, and we really need to get them to re-engage. Absolutely. That's, and that's exactly what this program is about. Ian, how do you think we can engage Africans um, to understand that their wildlife, what they're giving away for the buck today, is going to destroy their future. How are we going to engage them? 
Well, I think we, we have to, I mean, you know, the African situation is a lot more complex because of our, um, our recent history of colonialism and exploitation. So it's all tied in with that. But in essence, wildlife is part of our history. It's part of our culture. It's part of our heritage. It's part of our poetry and it's part of our psychology and our psyche. And uh, we need to just understand that. And once we can get that message across, that we are actually part of all this, not separated from it, I think people will understand. The, 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 the perverse situation is that we don't learn this from grade one at school. We learn subjects about economics and exploitation, but we don't learn anything about the wilderness and protection and conservation for our own survival. Um, and that's what we need to do. So we really need everybody um, who's listening today a revamping of our educational system. And that's not going to happen necessarily through the national and uh, curriculum system. It's going to happen through us. Each and every one of us is a... An, an ambassador to help us understand how to live with our wild world. And unfortunately, today we're out of time. I'd like to thank you, Donna Lee and Ian, so much for taking the time to be here. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much, Ellie, and thank you to Donna Lee and uh, Australia again for their brave and visionary stand. And stay here and stay tuned to Our Wild World for the latest news and hopefully the next announcement of banning canned lion trophy imports. And that's it for today. This is Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.